Hey, good morning, Hills family. How we doing? Wow, that was lame. Let's try that again. How are we doing today, Hills family? I know Pastor Scott just tried to kill me, and you're all worried about me. That was what was going on there. But hey, I want to, before I get into that, I want to greet everyone really quick. I want to say good morning to our online community, to those of you that are watching us um, around the world and down the street. We're so glad you guys are here with us. God bless you. Good morning to our Old Town campus, Pastor Dwayne and that crew out there. What's up to you guys? Good morning in Marin County in Novato. Pastor Sean uh, Meyer is up there today. And good morning to my people on Tulare Street. What's up? Here's why I do that. They're all screaming right now. Way better than you guys. No, I'm kidding. I, I kid. I kid. Okay, well, now they're mad at me. I don't know what to do. Um, you're all my favorite children. So anyways, um, all, guys, God is just on the move. He's doing great stuff at this church. We had a packed house yesterday for the if gathering, for the women's if gathering. Yeah. Yeah. So if you see some women walking around here, walking on air and full of the Holy Spirit, it's because of that. And who knows what's going to happen today in this service. So, um, you know, I want to, um, before I get into God's word today, there, there's a couple things I want to get going. Um, God is on the move here. Like we're seeing, I don't know if you realize this, since January, between all of our campuses and our church plants, um, our, in our Raise the Life campaign, we've seen 185 people say yes to Jesus since January. It's an amazing thing. And um, we've got 22 that have stepped in the waters of baptism. We had 10 today at a brand new believers class. Like there's just, God is up to something and we're trying to not get in the way, if that makes sense. And um, one, of, one of the things that we did last fall before we entered into this Raise to Life campaign is, um, and we had never done it before, but we did 24 hours of prayer here at the church. And we did it in one of the portables out there. And I didn't know if anyone would come. So I made sure there was at least 24 people, like one every hour to get there. And here's what we found is lots of people came to it. And the Lord used that. I, I think part of that 185 who came to faith, right, God was using the prayers of the saints as they were crying out to him for his presence, for, for, for salvation for people, for the church to, 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 to be the church, right? And um, it was very powerful. I had a um, couple young men that came to me, you know, and I knew they were brand new believers. I'm like, oh, this, I wonder how this is going to go for them. And I watched them walk into that trailer because we'll have a, we have a fire pit outside hanging out afterwards. And they went into that trailer to pray and we have probably 12 to 15 different prayer stations because we know how ADD we all are, right? So you can move from station to station, right? And um, I thought, oh, they'll last 10 minutes. I saw this time and time again, one hour later, two hours later, three hours later, these young men come out with their mind blown. They're like, I haven't done anything but play a video game that long in my life. That was, that was amazing. So we're going to do it again. So we're doing 30 hours of prayer and it's going to be this, starting this Friday at noon and it's going to go all... All, all Friday night um, till, till sat Saturday at 6 p.m. here at the church. We're going to be here. Um, if you're one of those, here's what I know. Um, old, do we have any old dudes in the house? 
Yeah, old deuce. Amen to you guys. I'm one of you now. I like find myself waking up at 3, 4 in the morning for no reason. Come on down at 3, 4 in the morning. We could use you for security. So we'll have a fire pit. There'll be some, some coffee, all, all that. But come. It's going to be awesome because we, we believe that, one, the gospel changes lives. Amen. And we're watching it happen all over the place. And then we also believe that our God hears our prayer. And he doesn't just hear our prayer. He speaks back to us. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his Holy Spirit. He speaks through other people. So we want to seek him and we want to keep seeking him because God's up to something and we want to just invite him to do more. Can I get an amen on that one? That's worthy of an amen. So, so guys, um, come to that. It's, it's, it's going to be awesome. Figure out who your one is. Um, I have my one. He's in my neighborhood and I'm not just praying that he comes to Easter. I'm praying that the Lord gets a hold of his heart. And I know, I'm, I'm, you know, when you're praying for your one, pray that God is haunting that person. They can't escape them. They meet Christians everywhere. They're laying at bed at night going, what's the purpose of my life? All that is God chasing them down. And pray for that. And see what, let's just see what God does on Easter Sunday. Amen? Amen. So today we're going to be talking out of Acts chapter 17. And I, I know why Pastor Scott threw the... Um, Easter sign at me is because he wanted to preach Acts 17, uh, the passage on Mars Hill. Seven years ago, we went through this chapter of, of Acts, and he got to preach it, and I was very jealous. So I set the preaching calendar. I said, I'm taking it this year, sucker. So anyways, um, I want to tell you a little bit about it. Last week, Pastor Dwayne, man, that guy can preach. He is smooth as silk. Um, he, he taught on the Bereans. Right? And Paul was going to Athens and he stops in Berea. And these Bereans, they, were, they, were, they, they searched the scriptures to see if it was true. And, and, and here, here's what I want you to know. Um, and Dwayne talked about this. But, but Jesus is in every page of this book. Every page of this book is pointing to the life, death, resurrection, and return of Jesus. And the Bereans, they didn't just take it at his word. They got into the book. And see, this book, someone, I think it was D.L. Moody said it, that this book will keep you from sin. But this book, will, or sin, will also keep you from this book. See, so Pastor Dwayne's message about the Bereans was we need to get into the book. Well, today, now Paul has moved into Athens. And Athens is... Um, Really, at this time in history, Athens, there's not really an industry anymore in Athens, right? When you come to Fresno, we're known as a farming city. It's a large city, but like, like agriculture is a big part of our industry, right? If you go to Cambridge, Massachusetts, the, their industry is college. Harvard is there, right? If, you know, if, if, if you, you, you go to Princeton, where Princeton is in New Jersey... That, that their industry is college, right? That, that's their thing. This was Athens at the time. It was where all the intellectuals were. It was where you went to learn. It was where you went to do that. And they would sit around talking all the time. And they had places, I guess the way I would liken it to is like, um, almost like the internet. You know, the internet is a place where like everyone gets to give their opinion now. Um, and... The problem with the internet, though, is there's no discussion. It's just I type my opinion, hit send, leave. 
Um, someone replies something I don't like, I don't read it, I just tell them what a lame they are, and then I hit send and leave again, right? But the marketplace in Athens, the way it worked, is they, people would just go into the marketplace, they'd buy the things they need, they'd get their food, they'd get their thing, but then they, people would just hang out and watch the drama unfold all day. And people were debating things, they were talking about every, every one of the newest, latest ideas, things that were coming down the pipe, and um, that's kind of how good ideas tend to get vetted, is when you sit and talk about them, and you have counterpoint and point, and some people disagree, and there's pushback, and it brings clarity. So this was the marketplace at the time. So Paul comes into Athens, and um, in verse 16 of this passage, we're going to read in a minute, he says he looks in, he comes into Athens, and he's just, he's, he's floored by all the idols that are in, in that city. And see, you have to realize, Paul is a monotheistic Jew, a Pharisee among Pharisees from the tribe of Benjamin. And the Jews do not go near idols. They don't talk about idols. There is one God. He is so holy. Usually they didn't even pronounce his name. They wouldn't say his name. The word Yahweh in Hebrew, Y-H-W-H. We actually don't know how it's pronounced because for a thousand years it was never spoken because it was too holy. And now Paul comes into Athens and they're worshiping all kinds of things. And, and you know, Dionysus is the goddess of drunkenness. And you've got Aphrodite and you've got sex everywhere. And it, it's, like, it's like Amish people going to Vegas, okay? <laughs> it's kind of like, I, I, I would liken it this way. You know, in uh, Oxford... At Oxford, C.S. Lewis was a professor at Oxford. And he had a group he was part of called the Inklings. And every day at lunch, a group of these intellectuals, they're all professors in literature and philosophy, they would all go to the same place for lunch all the time. They'd have a pint of beer and they'd have some food. And they'd spend two, three hours discussing philosophy, literature, the meaning of life, all of that. And Lewis was part of this group called the Inklings. And he was, he was a, a, um, a, a skeptic at, at best, an atheist at worst, maybe agnostic from time to time, but he didn't believe in God whatsoever. When he saw the world and how cruel it was, he went through, he fought in World War I, he saw how brutal that was, trench warfare. He lost his mother at an early age, at nine years old. And he just, the world was a cruel, harsh place and he said there can't be a god you know the the universe is too awful and he was in this group and there were a couple christians in in, in this this group one of them was J.R.R. tolkien who wrote the lord of the rings right he didn't write the movie there's a book okay so he he write and they they would talk about each other's life and and these christians in the group were slowly chipping away at Lewis's faith. And one of the ways they chipped away at it was through um, storytelling. Is Tolkien kept pushing him that in every, every story, in every myth, in every, every, every fairy tale, there's something that makes the human heart sing and that thing is a universal truth about God and Lewis couldn't get over it. So we've been doing you know, part of our church now, it's just becoming part of the DNA, is contagious faith. 
You know, we went through that series. We all talk about our contagious faith style. I'm getting people now that are starting to get it. They're like, oh my gosh, my friend was a selfless service and I'm friendship making and I made friends with this person and they needed something done and I brought my friend who's the selfless servant because I'll just screw it up. And we went and we helped him do that and then we invited him to church and now they're getting baptized, right? We're starting to see this happen, right? Well, um, Tolkien used friendship with Lewis and that was a big part of his, his conversion. I want to show you a video right now of how someone used um, the friendship building style to share their faith poorly. Don't do it this way. This is our good friend Brandon. Watch. Hey, brother. You ever feel like you're running around in circles and going nowhere? Well, I know someone who felt the exact same way. When he was young, he knew not what to do with his life, so he invested all his time and energy into Star Wars. Trouble is, everyone would make fun of him for that. Bullies would run up to him on the playground, punch him in the face, throw him to the ground, pull down his chonies, and spank his bare bottom. And they'd call him things like Stan Solo and Master Sloda. This story is true, except there was no playground, he didn't go to school, and bullies were his parents. Isn't that relatable? Well, anyways, <laughs> do you know who that boy was? You? Maybe. What? Well, let me put it in different terms. Until he went to Nineveh, God wouldn't let him stop running in circles, okay? And until he saw the pillar of fire in the rearview mirror and he was in the land of milk and honey, he wasn't quite at the promised land just yet. But now that he made it, no more roof baths for him, you know? Okay. You get it. So you see, want to church with me? They pushed it way back so he can sleep in an extra 15 minutes now. Come on, you turn around, you turn to a pillar of salt. <laughs> we're on, we're on, we're on a mission. Don't do it that way. I don't know how I worked that into the marketplace in Athens. I was supposed to show it at the front of my sermon. Sorry. So anyways, Paul in Athens though, right, he's a truth teller in Berea. He's a friend maker in Berea. But in Athens, he, he uses a lot of kind of giving logic and leading people to a conclusion via logic. And, um, you know, you, you're... You, you see this happen a lot with intellectuals because um, sometimes, like, you can be really smart and not believe the truth, um, especially in our, our culture, right? We're in a post-truth culture. Like, everyone can go find their own thing. If I don't like what my doctor told me, I can go find five other doctors that disagree with him, right? That, that's the world we live in. It doesn't mean there's not truth. It just means we don't like it. Is oh, that got awkward. So anyways, it's true, though. So I want to read to you from Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 21. I'd love it if you're able to, if you'd stand in honor of God's word at every campus. If you're online, as long as you're not in a car, don't stand in a car, okay? All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So I'll give you a little premise real quick. They've now invited Paul from the marketplace because they thought he was, his ideas were interesting to this temple called the Areopagus. It's where all the Stoic philosophers and Epicureans would debate things. And they ask him to lecture to them. So it's like being invited to Oxford or to Harvard or whatever. And he's going to talk to them about Jesus and the resurrection. So verse 22. Peter then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens... 
I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around, I looked carefully at the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not need to live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man came all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live, we move, we have our being. And as some of your own poets have even said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like, a, like, like gold or silver or stone, an image that's made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to... He's given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead when they heard about the resurrection of the dead some of them sneered but others said we want to hear you again on this subject and at that Paul left the council some of the people became followers of Paul and believed and among them was Dionysus a member of the Areopagus also a woman named Damaris and a number of the others this is God's word you may be seated I didn't write this into the message, but I, there, there's something I love about this passage. It's right at the end. Is, um, you know, Christianity is in its infancy still, right? And um, the, the, they've been kicked out of the temple in Jerusalem. And many of the apostles and believers have been thrown out of Jerusalem. And they're going all around the world preaching the gospel. Well, there's still a church. Like the, the, the base for Christianity at that time is still in Jerusalem. The, we, we read about that a few weeks ago in Acts 15 where the apostles gathered there and they made a ruling on something. So like Jerusalem is still the place, right? James, the brother of Jesus, he's there, but they've been kicked out of the temple. But you can imagine it is mostly a Jewish movement, especially in Jerusalem. So these are people that are still eating kosher. They're still, you know, with the Jews. Their family's Jewish. Like, they're very Jewish in their thinking. They're very monotheistic in their thinking. And then I just imagine Paul reporting back to First Baptist Jerusalem. Hey, I got to preach at the Areopagus to all the intellectuals. It's amazing. Some people came to faith there. There's, there's a dude named Dionysus that came to faith. And I bet you there was a group in that church that went, whoa, wait a minute. His name's Dionysus. He's got to change his name or he can't be a Christian. But not the case whatsoever. See, people aren't our projects to be fixed. The, the Spirit of God is perfectly capable of moving them to, to, a, to a place in their life of holiness at the pace that God has required it at. So, 
I want to talk to you about Paul's interaction right there in Mars Hill at the Areopagus with all the intellectuals. Because he talks about the idols. He was bothered by the idols. He very easily could have walked into the Areopagus and seen them up on the walls everywhere. People um, praying to him, singing to him, doing diff different things. And then, then it's time for him to lecture. And he could have come in, you know, John the Baptist style and been like, repent all of you. Been the truth teller. All of these are false. They're led by demons. They're going to send you to hell. What are you guys doing? Repent and believe it. He doesn't do that though. See, there's a thing in your brain and it causes us fight or flight when we're in something of conflict, right? That's why when I'm on Twitter and someone tweets something dumb, I go into fight. I'm like, oh, that's stupid. I want to do that, right? Some of you go, I don't want to get in a fight and you put the phone down. Okay, so when Paul, Paul goes in the Areopagus, he's, he's full of the Spirit. He doesn't let all of the falseness, the false teaching, all of that, get him riled up and start yelling at him. And he doesn't run from it either. I picture him in the moment taking a deep breath saying, Holy Spirit, give me the words. And he begins to speak. See, and he uses reason, believe it or not. See, Truth and reason actually are very different. See, typically, um, you don't care if something's true if you've got enough reasons to not believe it. And so, some people are like, I don't know if that's true. I, I don't believe that, Pastor. Come on. And you're pushing back in your head right now. Well, let me, let me give you a couple examples because there's been all kinds of psychological studies on this. There's been all that. Um, they've, they've done studies where they've taken 100 people that were sick. They were ill. They needed help. They went to the doctor. The doctor prescribed something for them. They went and got their prescription. And I don't know if you know this, but um, this, is, this is a study that's been done time and time again. One third of us will not go fill the prescription that the doctor gave us. We'll just move on. Right? You didn't like their diagnosis, you'll go find a website that told you it's cool. Oh, I'm hitting home. So then that leaves 67 people. Half of those 67 people will go to the pharmacy, they'll get the prescription, but they won't follow the instructions whatsoever on it. They'll take it when they feel like it, they'll forget, they'll stop taking it, they'll save it for later, they'll do all that. Been that guy too. And then there's a small percentage that will um, maybe follow it to the T. This is the funniest part. They, they've done the same studies and people with their dogs. And you go to your dog or you go to your dog. You go to your vet and your dog is sick and the vet gives you medicine for your dog. Almost 100% of the people follow it to a T. When the doctor gives you something for your kids, we tend to follow it to the T. See, because... We don't feel it. I went to the doctor and he gave me some statins. I don't even know what that is. I didn't like taking them. It was a pain. I found a website and another doctor said they're bad. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I show you that because that's what we all do. That's what human beings do. And there's been countless psychological studies that show we do that. I have another friend. He works um, in the pet food industry. He's high up at a, a very bougie pet food uh, company. 
and he was telling me, he goes, he goes it's, it's hilarious, Sean. We go to these, um, you know, these demos at these pet stores or whatever. And he goes, you'll go and you'll see someone that's like in a wheelchair. They've got type 2 diabetes. They've lost a limb. They've got a giant bucket of soda from McDonald's and they're chomping on a Big Mac. And then they'll say, oh, I only give my, my dog human-grade food that's organic. We can laugh at that because that's not us, but we, we are the same people. It's what human beings do. So sometimes you've got to lead people via reason rather than just saying, you're wrong. Why are you doing that? Your dog is not as important as you. That, that, that doesn't work. You've got to lead someone to, to that place. And Paul does, does this here, and um, he doesn't use shame. See, pastors, we're so good at using shame and guilt because it does move people in a room. But here's what I want you to know. Shame and guilt actually moves people away from God. When Adam and Eve sinned, they felt shame. What did they do? They hid from God. Right? The Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. What I found in life is I need to have shame. I need to feel bad about my actions. I, I do. We live in a world that's averse of shame. But, but I know this. It's way easier to lead a person somewhere with honey than vinegar. And Paul gives him a little bit of the truth, but he doesn't use shame. And I love what he says in verse 22 and 23. He says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Right? So here's what Paul did. When he got in that room, he probably was all worked up by all the idolatry. Right? And he, he, he calmed himself and he looked to use one of their gods, one of their traditions, the way they thought to point them to who the true God was. Right? When he spoke to the Jews, he spoke much differently to them. He was a truth teller. They knew the Bible. They knew the promises. They should know better, right? But when he spoke to a very secular people, he, he, he didn't use that. He came in another way. And here's what I want you to know, guys. So many of us Christians in 2023 were so busy cursing the darkness in the world right now. The world is a dark place. There's a lot of lies being floated out there. I get it. But here's what I want you to know. Cursing the darkness doesn't make it go away. As a matter of fact, cursing the darkness makes people go, oh, what is that? I want to see. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If I turn the lights off in this room, do you know what gets rid of darkness? Shining a light. I know that was just a stupid statement, but like, I think we need to realize that for a second and just process it. Light pushes back darkness. Light pushes back darkness. We could turn all the lights off and I could get up here and be like, why is there darkness in our church? This darkness is evil. We can't see. We're tripping all over our stupid steps here. There's darkness. We hate darkness. We're against the darkness. You know what? It's still dark. Until you choose to shine. Until you choose to shine. The darkness will exist, but the minute you turn a light on, darkness can't stand against it. It just disappears. So right now, our culture 
is going through rampant individualism. And if we were Paul walking around the Areopagus and we're like, what's the idol in this room I could use to tell people about Jesus? I think the first thing he would look at in America in 2023 and he'd go, oh, I see that you guys are very concerned about your identity. You have an altar to the unknown God called identity. Let me tell you about that. See, God has made all of us. There is a God that has made every person. And one of the things that happens to human beings is we have to find our identity in something. It's what human beings do. So some people, they'll find their identity in being a mom. Is that a bad identity? Where my mom's at? Lame. The old guys were way better than that. Some people will find their identity in their career. Some people will find their identity in their politics. Some, and some people will find it in their children. Some people will find, like, we find it in all kinds of places. And we have all of those identities, and they're, on a, they're a list in our head. They're a list in our heart. And whatever the main one is, that's really the one we're worshiping. Right? And in our culture in 2023, there's a whole new set of identities we can put up there. Some people, it's their gender identity. Some people, it's their sexual identity. Some people, you know, they, they, they identify as an animal or whatever it is. There's all kinds of identities now that we have made, put on the list, and we've moved them to the top. But here's what, what, what God w- wants you to know. God made you. He made you. And, and you may be attracted to something or someone, or you, you may be a mom, you may be a dad, you may have this career that's really consuming, you may have these children that are a big part of your identity, and he's made you as one of those people, but here's what you have to know. God made you to know him first. Amen. That all of the identities you have in your life, right? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, I'm a... Charger fan, um, I'm a, whatever, down the line. I have all these identities. And the thing that will destroy your life is actually when you make one of those identities the number one identity of your life. And you're watching a generation wrestle with suicide and depression and Last sun, Saturday, we had, a, we had a funeral in this room for Jonah Rivera. And I watched the Rivera family stand on this stage, grieving the loss of this young man, but hopefully, hopefully proclaiming the goodness of God. And they didn't sugarcoat it in any way. And it's really interesting to me because... The room was moved. There was a thousand people in this room. Overflow. There was people online watching. I got out of the car, started driving home, and the sports radio station was talking about this memorial. And at, at the very end of it, Pastor Mitch got up here, and he just stood here, and he said something I thought was really interesting. He said, I'm Mitch, and I am the patriarch of this family. I think it's very interesting. The world we live in kind of has painted men into a corner. But I, I want you to know something. 
it's really easy to say, like, oh, the patriarchy's keeping us down, or oh, these people are keeping us down. I want you to know something. Young men, young men in this room, the God of the universe has a plan for your life. The reason, and young women as well too, but I, I need you to understand this. The reason your heart goes to pornography, the reason your heart goes to 12 hours of Call of Duty, the reason your heart are going to these things is because deep inside you, God has put eternity in your heart. You were made to know God. And, and that the, the porn tells you you're this amazing person and, and, and it's, it's lying to you because it doesn't know you and it just sucks you in and it ruins love, right? And the video games, video games aren't a bad thing. They're, they're, they're fun, but it, it touches that dopamine hit of, of, of you, you could be heroic and there's a God that's looking down at you and says, I have a plan for your life. I want you to be heroic. I have a heroic plan for your life. I have glory for you. I have things for you that these could never give you and when I'm talking about this I even know it right now there's young people there's old people in the room your heart is soaring because you were made by God and you will never find your true identity apart from the one who made your identity and to find that true authentic self you have to go to the God that loves you and begin to know him and have that relationship and follow him and it will blow your mind but people, I don't realize, you, you may not realize this, but like starting in the, the, the 70s, the, the hero na narrative of our culture changed, right? You know, you watched every movie or every Disney movie and it was like, oh, you'll find your true love, the prince will kiss you and you'll wake up and you'll live happily ever after. And that was a big kind of hero narrative in stories for years and years and years. And there's something in that narrative that speaks to our soul. And we go, yeah, the world's not the way it's supposed to be. One day it'll get better, right? And the enemy used that hero narrative to deceive people. And, you know, we started thinking that our life is in our spouse or our finding that one. And that's going to make us complete and yada, yada, yada. But the hero narrative began to change in the 70s. I heard Timothy Keller talk about this last week. It blew my mind. I don't know if you realize this. Part of the hero narrative in just about every story we read now, every movie we watch now, is that in order to become your authentic self and be happy, you need to break away from the norm and just be who you're supposed to be. Because the cold doesn't bother me anyways. Now some of you are like, Pastor said boycott Frozen. No, it's a great movie. But, I mean, you go back, look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Wouldn't it make my collection? Little Mermaid? I'm a mermaid, but I want to be a human. You just go on and on and on. And it's all about if you will be your authentic, true self, then you'll be happy. And then you'll find fulfillment. And then you'll find all of that. And there, there is a huge truth in that. You have to know that. But you will never find your true, authentic self apart from the one who made you. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he loves you and he calls you to him today. So listen, listen. I mean, you can go through all the Marvel movies. They're not bad. Marvel movies are awesome. They're fun to watch, right? I'm usually tired by the end of them. It's the same thing. That, that hero narrative is, permeates our culture. So we wonder, 
Why about three to five years ago, if this started in the 70s, like the culture felt like we were in a frog in a boiling pot and we're all trying to climb out now. Because that's where we're at. We can't curse it. We have to meet people where they're at. Because Jesus meets them where they're at. I love, I love, love, love what Paul says in verse 27 and 28. Look what it says. He said, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he's not far from any one of us. For in him, that's Jesus they're talking about. In Jesus, we live and we move and we have our being. Your true self, your authentic self, that person you want to be in your bones, but you don't know what it looks like. So you thought like, well, I'll be this, or I'll be this, or I'll be this. And none of them are working. Your true self, you have to know this. Is when you identify first and foremost on that list of identities that Jesus is my Lord. That Jesus is my maker. That Jesus is my God. That, that, that I don't know how to do this Christian thing right. But I know that he has shown the way. And if I, I, will, I will trust him. If I will hitch my wagon to him. He's going to lead me along the way. He's going to forgive my sins. When I, when I do it wrong, he's going to forgive me. And he's going to keep me moving. When I fall, I'm going to get back up. He's going to pick me back up. And he says, though he's not far from all of us. Here's what I would want to tell you today. Maybe today, maybe you grew up being Christian. Or... And somehow something happened in your life or circumstance happened or someone did something to you and you walked away from God. I want to remind you of something today. He's never walked away from you. He loves you so much. He has something so much more for you if you will be brave. Some of you this morning, you don't know where you stand with God. And I would tell you this this morning. Um, see, part of who we are, the Bible talks about, is that all human beings are sinful and we've been separated from God because of our sin. I have, Pastor Mitch has. He's a big sinner. I might be bigger. But anyways. And it says, that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then it says in Romans, for the wages of our sin is death. That means we've been separated from God spiritually. We can't be connected to God. We can't know, truly know our creator. We can know who he is. We can know things about him. But we don't know him. But the Bible says this, that God, for God so loved you. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That, that God put on skin and bones, moved in the neighborhood. He lived a life that I couldn't live. He lived a sin-free life. And the Bible says that whoever would believe in him, that would put their trust in him, he gives them eternal life. He, it, the, John 1.12 says this, But as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. That when you receive Jesus, when you make that choice, the God of the universe comes to live in you. He forgives you of all your sin, past, present, future. And that destiny that you, you know in your bones you're supposed to live out, but you don't know what it is and you don't know what it looks like, the one who loves you and created you will lead you to it. 
but you have to be brave and open your heart and invite him in. The Bible talks about it, that when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, there, there's something that happens to our faith when we say, no, I'm going to stand up. I'm with Jesus. It's just something that, like God activates that faith that was in our heart. So in a moment, I'm going to call people to do that. And if you don't know where you stand with God, you can know today. You could receive him. By the way, I, I want to remind you, I say this a lot, but you may be thinking like, wow, I'm not ready. So indecision is a decision. That's no. Don't walk away from such a love. Do something great with your life. Do something brave with your life and step into who God has made you to be. So we're going to pray in a moment. And maybe some of you, you're here today and you're, you know the Christian thing and you know Jesus and you know all that, but your cheese is slidden off your cracker. Well, it's time to come home to him. Pray a prayer of recommitment. It's okay. It's kind of part of it. Is what we're not going to do this perfectly. But Jesus did for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every person watching right now, every person in this room. And Father, I pray for anyone that's here this morning that they don't know where they stand, but they sense you, Jesus, knocking at the door of their heart. Lord, I ask that you would give them courage. Lord, I ask that you would give them the boldness to open their hearts and invite you in. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you, just talk to them, pray. You can talk to them in your own words right now in the quietness of your heart. Invite them in. If you don't know what to pray, maybe you pray something simple, like, Jesus, I need you. I realize my sin has separated me from you. Come into my life and forgive me. Make me the person you created me to be. I lay down my way. And Jesus, I want yours. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to trust you're going to lead me to that. If that's you this morning, do me a favor. Just with every head bowed, eye, eye closed. If that was the prayer of your heart, I want to pray a blessing over your life. If you prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand right now? Hold them high. Don't be ashamed. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Keep them up. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Lord, thank you. Yep, I see you. Thank you. Lord God, I thank you for every hand that went up in this room. Those that went up online. Father, I pray you bless them. You set them apart for great things in this life and the next. Lord, I pray that this just wouldn't be like a religious thing they did one day, but March 5th, 2023 would be the day their life was changed by you, Jesus. Bless them for that. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Amen.